You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. I'm pretty excited about this series. Uh, The book of Jonah is just one of those uh, books that I think can be particularly difficult for some. Uh, Truthfully, uh, among Christian scholars and, and, and really even some Christians and especially those outside of the Christian faith, Jonah is one of those books that people just find really hard to believe. I, I mean, they, they kind of just find it extremely difficult to understand that a man was swallowed by a fish and then yet somehow three days later survived this. And, and as I kind of dove into this book and, and many of the questions around it, I, I kind of have two thoughts uh, about this maybe unbelief or difficulty in understanding Jonah. My first thought is how unfortunate it is for the person who would struggle to believe in this book. Like how, how small is your God? I don't know about you, but, but the God that I believe in, the, the God that I've followed with my, my life, spoke, and everything that we hear, that we see, that we touch, came into existence when he literally just spoke. The God that that I believe in turns water into wine. He splits seas. He makes donkeys speak. He sent himself as his son to die on the cross and then raise from the dead three days later. So for me, when I think of the story of Jonah and a guy being swallowed by a fish and three days later living through it, I go, yeah, that's cool. I mean, He raised himself from the dead. He raised others from the dead. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him, and he's got a book of all of his writings. But I don't know, that fish story, it's kind of hard to believe. So the first one, my first thought was, wow, how unfortunate it is that we have such a small view of God that he couldn't make this happen. He couldn't be the orchestrator of this. And the second reason I think we can believe this book is because Jesus himself believed it. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus is talking to a group of people. And he says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Right here, Jesus is taking this book. And he's saying, hey, this isn't just some like good parable, some like solid kind of metaphorical teaching. No, just as Jonah was in the belly for three days, I will be in the quote-unquote earth, the ground. I'll be dead for three days, but the story isn't over there. And this book is just another great example of our human condition and the relentless love of God. And maybe you're the person in the room sitting, you know, I've kind of struggled to believe in this book, this story of Jonah. Maybe I heard it growing up as a kid, Maybe I've watched a cartoon or two about it, and I think it's a really great parable, but I'm not really sure if it actually happened. And my encouragement would be to you to lean in over the coming weeks, like to to really open the Word of God, because I believe that God will use this book to radically change your life. I mean, radically change your life. So let me ask you a question as we kind of kick off this morning. Have you ever experienced something that changed your perspective on most everything in your life? Has there ever been a moment where you experienced 
something. And it changed not just the way that you behave, but the way that you even saw the world around you. For some, maybe it was a tragedy. There, there, there was an accident, a lost loved one. It was a moment that changed everything for you. For others, it was that, that relationship. You know, that person, she just made me or he just made me a better me, right? You've been there. You've prob- hopefully, some of you have been there. That's the moment when you meet that person and they just, you thought you knew what you liked, but then they corrected you and told you what you really liked, right? <laughs> We've all had that person in our life. Maybe it was travel. Maybe you, you had the opportunity to go and see the world, and growing up with one specific worldview, you, you got out of your bubble and you began to see that while the world doesn't necessarily think like I think, they maybe think a little differently than I do, and because of that, I, I see the world a little differently now. Maybe it was education. Maybe you started studying and philosophical thought and all of these different things, and you go, wow, people think differently than me, and so because of this, it's changed me. One moment for me was in a counseling session about three years ago. So if, if, if you'll permit me, we're going to get a little deep early this morning. So about three years ago, prior to me being the lead pastor here, I, w- I was in conversations about becoming the pastor here, and uh, a friend of mine had been recently given his life to Jesus and was going to get baptized. And so Amy and I get in the car, and we were going to drive about four and a half hours to go see our brother go get baptized. And it's one of those moments when you're just like, oh man, you know, it's pumped up. He's going to get baptized. All is good. And, but what's actually happening behind the scenes is I am already thinking, okay, I'm, the lead, I'm going to be the lead pastor of this church. So I got to do this and do that and move this and move this. We got to make this happen, do all these different things. And so I start stressing out. I get a little tightly wound. And for those of you that know me, that's not normal, right? And so we're, we're on the way to see this amazing moment, and Amy and I get in this massive fight. I mean, just massive. And she looks at me and says, we're not going to do this. You need to go to counseling. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? What do you mean? Mate, you need to go to counseling, right? And she goes, no, no, seriously. You need to go to counseling. So I, I, I meet with the counselor, and I start meeting with him every week, and sometimes multiple times a week, and it quickly turns into this thing, okay, maybe you and Amy need to go to counseling. And so me and Amy go to counseling, and it's amazing. If you can catch my drift there. If you've never been to counseling, you get to hear about all the things you're really good at. It's not true. And so I, I'm sitting there on the couch one, one, I think it's a morning, and Amy's with me. And she is broken. She is in tears, and it is heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching. It, it's just, my heart is breaking for her, and, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And the counselor leans over and looks at me. He says, Chris, you are a jerk. He says, through your actions, your words, and, and more, you have essentially been drowning your wife. And in that moment, I ugly cried. Like I was just completely and totally broke. I look at her, and I had seen brokenness before. But in this moment, I now realize the the, the brokenness that she's experiencing is because of me. I I did this. And so I I left that moment, and I, I remember sitting at my desk in the office 
she called me like an hour later, and I'm still just bawling. And I'm not a crier, in case you don't know. It's not something I do on the regular. You know, you can put on a, the notebook, and I'm probably not going to cry. But in this moment, I was face to face with my depravity, my, my brokenness. Now, I'm here to say that a couple of weeks ago, Amy and I celebrated 14 years of marriage, and I think if she was here with us this morning, she would say it was happy, happy marriage. Like, there has been improvements, and there have been things changed. Now, in case you, you don't understand me, you don't know me, maybe this is the first time you've, you've heard me speak, whatever, being called a jerk was not my first experience in that moment, right? That, that was not the, the re- revelation that, oh, wow, no one's ever called me that before. Jeez. But there was something about that moment that God used to reveal to me my brokenness. And I think it's important for us to recognize our own brokenness. Know that I, I don't share that story with you easily. I, I don't take joy and go, oh, let me get up in front of people and talk about how terrible of a human being I am. But I think it's important that you and I come face to face with our own brokenness. Because we open, as we open up this book of Jonah, that is what this story is about. It is a story of broken, depraved, ugly people who God is relentlessly running after. And if he can redeem them, the Ninevites, and he can redeem me, that there is no situation in your life that he cannot redeem. The title of my sermon this morning, if you're taking notes, is A Love That Changes Everything. And all it takes is a moment, a moment where you can look upon the glory and the wonder of God. And that love will change everything around you and the way that you see the world. So, let's dive into the text this morning and see how God changes everything through these first couple of verses in Jonah. I know we read it once. I'm going to read it one more time just to make sure that it sinks in. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. We'll stop there. So the first thing we need to understand in this story, this account of the prophet Jonah, we need to understand the first question of who exactly is Jonah? Who, who was Jonah? Now, Jonah was a northerner. Now, maybe you hear northerner and, and you're not quite sure what I mean. You can go to 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25 and read a little bit more about this. But here's what I mean by northerner. At, at, at basically 931 B.C., King Solomon is dying. And what's going to happen right after he dies is there's going to be a war to split the kingdoms. A guy named Jeroboam supposedly gets a word from the Lord to battle the, the, the incoming king, Rehoboam, and, and Jeroboam takes that word and goes, I'm going to do this. And so what happens is this united kingdom of Israel all of a sudden becomes fractured, and of the 12 tribes of Israel, and if you remember several months ago we talked about the 12 tribes, if you don't, you can go Google it, there's 12 tribes of Israel, 10 of them go to the northern kingdom, and 2 of them go to the southern kingdom. Now, the northern kingdom would eventually be called Israel, the southern kingdom to be named Judah, 
And the northern kingdom kind of gets this, um, I guess, this representation, the people's perspective of of who they are. They're, They're extremely filled with idols. They're kind of against the things of God. And so 150 years go by. And Jonah would eventually, as you can read in that Second Kings passage I mentioned, be called to prophesy in the northern kingdom. Now, what we need to remember and know about this story and about the context of what's going on is that the northerners and the southerners don't get along. Ring any bells? No? Okay. Now, to say that they don't get along is truly an understatement. They, they really kind of despised each other. Well, one theologian likened it to the relationship between the Nazis and anyone who wasn't German. Now, here's what we need to keep in mind with this book. It was written about Jonah, a northern prophet, but the, most, uh, the people who would have read it the most would have been people from the southern kingdom. Imagine the reception of this book. A guy who represents a people that we don't particularly like, is all of a sudden being giving a, given a word from the Lord to other people. One, one theologian says it like this, in the course of his history, this is Jonah, he is to exploit the emotional tension created by his opening statement, a tension between saying yes to God's message and no to God's messenger. As God often does, he reveals his ultimate authority by using people who would be the least likely chosen. This is what happens in this moment with Jonah. If you and I were to put together a plan of, hey, how do we go reach the Assyrians, the Ninevites? How would we do this? You and I probably wouldn't come up with this idea of like, hey, let's send Jonah. Also, let's make sure that this letter written about Jonah, this this history, was first and foremost given to his enemies. That's probably not how we would build it. But what does God do? That's exactly what God does. He uses people that we wouldn't exactly choose to represent us in that moment. Do you feel as if God would choose you? Is there a place in your life that you're going, I don't know if God could choose me because I'm not worthy. I'm not living up to this. I'm not not that. I'm not not well spoken. I'm not dressed well enough. I'm, I'm not this. I'm not that. Here in this moment, and time and time again throughout Scripture, what we see is that God chooses the person who probably didn't feel very worthy, probably didn't feel very ready. God doesn't always choose the proud and the strong. Often he chooses the lowly and the weak. So this is who Jonah was, a northerner who had some issues, who was going to a people group, which, by the way, this would be the first and only time in prophetic ministry in the Old Testament where a prophet was called to go outside of the people of God, right? So this letter would be mostly uh, read by the people of God in the southern kingdom, but the Ninevites, the Assyrians, would be the only people that God would send his representative to that did not already have a firm foundational belief in Yahweh. That's that's, that's, That's a key thing in this book. We need to understand that. It's going to be a key thing in our hearts as we dive in to understand what this book means for us. So that's who Jonah was. So where was Jonah called to go? Well, the the city is Nineveh. It was established by a guy named Nimrod. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 10. Nimrod was a a fierce hunter and warrior. 
Nineveh by this time became the capital of Assyria. Now, Assyria was known as a military empire. I mean, they were the, the war dogs of the time. They, they had all the, the weapons. They had the best military prowess. They, they were the people that you didn't want to mess with. They were also an extremely vile and crude people who were known for their methods of torture and sexual deviancies. Matter of fact, they, they would literally record their methods of torture on tablets so that other people could learn from their ways. To so, show, hey, hey, number one, don't mess with us. Number two, if you're trying to be like us, here's how you do it. It's kind of like a how-to book on, you know, how-to dummies, how to be a great tor- torturer in an Assyrian. And, and one of these methods was they take somebody, they take them captive, and they would cut off both of their legs. Now, they would make sure that they did this in a fashion that they didn't bleed out. Then they would cut off one of their arms for the sole purpose that when they finally do kill them, they can shake their hand and kill them at the same time. Like, that's the kind of people the Ninevites, in the, you know, who, who were the capital city of the Assyrians were. They were rough people. You can read all about the Assyrians' history. If you, they're actually mentioned first in Genesis chapter 2 and then throughout the Old Testament. These were extremely difficult, violent, vicious, and deplorable people. And what is important in this story is that God is then sending someone to them to ultimately save them. What would your response be if you're Jonah? I mean, you hear about the way that they kill people. You hear about the way that they live their life. It's probably a vastly different cultural perspective than you could ever even imagine. And God sends a word to you to say, hey, why don't you go there? Here's a less likely prophet being sent to a godless, vile people, and God is calling these people to repent. He's looking to to redeem them a people that would, to you and I, and probably to Jonah, seem unredeemable. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Like, hey, I have done these things in my life. There's no way God can redeem this. Or they have done those things in their life. There's no way that they could ever be called a son or daughter of the king. And yet, here's God sending Jonah to a people who, for the most part, you and I would want nothing to do with. He calls them to repent. Now, I want to unpack this this idea of repentance, this understanding of what God is actually sending Jonah to do, because I think sometimes in in our church world, we hear repentance, and and what we hear is God wants us to clean up our mess and then come to him. Like God wants us to go tidy the house and make sure that everything's good and then we can go to him and say, okay, God, I do love you. See? You see what I did? And the true message of the grace of God is what he's really saying to us is, I want you to recognize the mess and then I want you to turn to me. Through my power, we will eventually release the mess. 
Now, notice I say eventually, because I, I think sometimes in the church world, we go, all right, as soon as you're a Christian, you're supposed to dress this way, talk this way, look this way, and if you don't do these things, then you're not actually a Christian. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't necessarily work like that. There's a process called sanctification. So l- l- let's say you, you, you've never gone to church. You've never been in the church. You were raised in, just in a normal city, in a world, whatever, and you knew nothing of God. 20s go by, your 30s go by, your 40s go by. For 40 years, you've been living one way. And then all of a sudden, God wakes you up, shows you the reality of your sin and his glory, and you go, man, I want to give my life to Jesus. Here's what we mess up in the church. We expect that 40, 50, 60-year-old to all of a sudden be the cleanest person in the world. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sins will find you out. It's this idea that just because all of a sudden you were awakened to the, the splendor and the glory of God and the depravity of yourself doesn't mean that you will all of a sudden be holy. The Bible says strive for holiness, push for it, go to it. God is the love that changes everything, but he isn't a love that necessarily changes you overnight. He is a love that will change you over time. He's a love that you lean into, and he doesn't want you to stay the same. And this is important because I think the modern-day myth of, of, of true love, right? What, what, what is true love? Well, it's accepting. Be you. Blossom where you're planted, right? I, I don't know about you. I don't want that kind of love. Here's what I mean. Someone who truly loves me, like my wife in that moment, would look at me and say, you need to go to counseling, right? I would say that she didn't actually love me if she just kind of put up with it because she wants me to be a better me. And in the world that we're, we're kind of in today, for some reason we've, we've twisted this definition of love to just be like purely sense and just do you and all is good if you'll just kind of walk in whatever your truth is. And Jesus comes And he says, no, I I am a love that reveals to you a better way. I reveal to you your brokenness, your fractured life, and I call you and I empower you to more. He is a love that moves our hearts so greatly that the desires that once were are no longer. Maybe you're saying, well, look, Chris, I've I've been coming to church my whole life. I've been involved and engaged in the church my entire life, and if I was honest, I don't really have the desire to change some of the things in my heart. My first response would would be, maybe. Maybe you've never encountered God. Now, now hear me out. I'm not making that call for you. (laughs) That's, That's not my calling, my job, my duty. That's between you and the Lord. I, I will point you back to Scripture that says, you know, when, when the tree is planted by the water, there will be fruit, and healthy fruit. And if there's, there's no fruit, then maybe there's no root. And so if you're sitting here, I struggle to have a desire for the things of God, my first inclination would be meet God. Because once you've had that moment, that experience where you've 
come face to face with the living God in all of His splendor and His glory, and you have seen your wretchedness. Like, I think that's where we mess up, right? Sometimes we, we compare how good of Christians we are by looking at other people. We go, I'm not as good as so-and-so, or I'm not as good as such-and-such. But here's the reality. They stink too. When it comes to the glory and the splendor of God. I found myself in that place like 15 years ago. I had this youth leader, and he was Mr. Positive. You ever been around one of those guys? Like, on one hand, it makes me sick. On the other hand, it makes me jealous. Because they're just always upbeat. You know, like, their house could be blown away by a tornado. And they're like, well, good, I get to build a new one. Right? And I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? There's not always good in everything. And I saw him as a youth leader, and I'm like, I want to be like you. I just need to be positive. And if I don't have that, I don't have Jesus. And he sat me down one day, and he says, that's not necessarily true. Like, you were wired one way. And that way that God wired you will be extremely fruitful as soon as you can recognize and own how God has wired you. Quit trying to function in someone else's blessing. Function in the blessing that God has given you. You're intense. You're a big-hearted guy that's a little rough and gruff, but as soon as you get through that, you're somebody who most people go, oh, he does love me. And I go, well, maybe. But I looked at that youth leader, and in that moment, I was convinced that I, I had been yearning and desiring to be someone else when God is looking at me going, no. You need to be the you inspired by the Holy Spirit that I want you to be. And that means there's going to be change in your life over time. The things that you once held dear, you now count for loss. And I'm going to give you a new heart. And as the Bible says, he's going to renew my mind. He's going to transform my mind by getting into the Word. He's going to wash me with the Word, and I'm going to become more and more like him. And so the things that I once found pleasurable, the moments when I was the proverbial Assyrian, when I would cut off the, the legs of my enemies, and I'd shake their hand with my, my words or my actions, those moments I now look at and I go, man, that's not how I need to behave. Not because there's some like gold standard and God's te- keeping a tally mark. No, it's like we're saying like our sin is dead and gone in Christ. But he's given me this heart that goes, I want better. I want more. So now when I find myself in sin, when I make the wrong thing, when I, when I do the wrong thing, when I say the wrong thing, I feel an ultimate amount of shame and guilt. Whereas before Christ... I don't know that that was there. I, I could do some of the, the most hateful things and I could feel no worries about it. So if you're saying, hey, I don't have this desire, my first thing would say, get, fall in love with Jesus. Like ask him to show himself to you. My, my second thing would be just like any good healthy relationship, are you seeking after him? Are you diving into the things that he desires you to, des- to dive into? Because that, that's what any good relationship is based off, right? It's not just some, like, you know, contract agreement where we're, oh, we're now friends. It's not like a Facebook button, right? I didn't just follow God on IG. We don't just Snapchat every now and then. 
He's saying, follow me with all that you have and love me. And through that process, I will make you holy. He tells his disciples what? I will make you fishers of men. I'll give you a new heart and a new desire. No longer will the, the nets of the world going out for the fish be enough. But I want to give you a new net and a new desire to fish for men. How do you get from there to there? An experience with Jesus. That's how it happens. And there's no work that you can do to get to that pr- process in place. It's as simple as what God is calling Jonah to do to the Assyrians. Just repent. Like, recognize where you are and recognize who he is. And he is the goodness that changes everything. In the book of Romans, he says that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Even while you were still misbehaving, running from, scoffing, spitting in the face of God. He sent his son for you. Think about the best person you've ever met. And think about the sacrifice that it would take for that person as you're spitting and scoffing in their face to go, you know what, I still, I still, love, still love you. I still care for you. Matter of fact, I'm going to die for you. Regardless of whether you accept me or not. That's a radical love. That's a love that changes everything. So as I wrap up this morning, have you received that calling? Maybe you're in this room this morning and and you've never actually prayed to receive Christ. Maybe you're that 45-year-old. Maybe you're younger, whatever. Maybe you're an elder at this church. I love all you elders, by the way. But maybe you're saying, look, this morning I, I, can, I can truly say I've never come face to face with Jesus and been recognized of the sin and the depravity of my soul, but now that I see him, I don't want to be like the Assyrians, the Ninevites. I, I, I want to be more like him. And so my encouragement to you would be this morning, just reach out and just pray that. God, I, I want to turn from my ways and I want to put my faith in you. It's that simple. There's no like dust. You know, there's no contract you got to sign. I mean, you can walk down an aisle if that really makes you feel better, but the aisle didn't save you. The thing that I love about the story of Jonah and Nineveh is that he sends this prophet to go and preach the goodness and call for repentance. And eventually he, he will do that. We'll get to that in the weeks coming. But his first response is to flee. And I just wonder how many of us in the room who have given our life to Jesus, who say that we love him with all that we have, are currently fleeing from a Nineveh moment. Like he's called you to do something. He's called you to minister to somebody at your work. He's called you to give your time in some way, your talents, your treasures, your testimony, whatever it is. He's called you to do it. And you're acting like Jonah right now. Let me give you a little geography. 
So where Jonah is, Nineveh is about 550 miles to the northeast. Where Jonah goes to Tarshish is about 2,000 miles to the west. About four times the trip just to flee from the calling that God has on him. And I kind of see this moment like a dad looking at his child and say, hey, you can do this the hard way or you can do this the easy way. Because if you know anything about the Jonah story, he eventually does it, right? He eventually goes to Nineveh. And it's kind of like, you can do it your way, you can do it my way. But one of these ways is going to happen. And so what's the Nineveh in your life that you're running from? What's, what's the moment that, that you're not wanting to go face to face with I think the, 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 the big opener for, for today in these first two verses that we see from Jonah's story is that we can get wrapped up into thinking that this world and this everything is, is about us. But the reality is that this world and everything in it exists for the glory of God. And he has called you and he has called me to, the, to go to the Ninevehs of this world. You got some Ninevite people in your life. They're difficult. They're rough. They're hard to talk to. Are you going to flee to Tarshish or are you going to go up on the word of God with boldness? You've been called. We have two steps this morning. If you're in the room, you've never given your life to Jesus. I believe it's been clearly communicated that you need to. You're a sinner, separated from God by that sin, but the story's not over. He sent his son Jesus to reunite you with him. And all it takes is repentance and belief. Turn from yourself, put your faith in him. The second step, for anyone in the room who's a believer, where are you going in your life to receive the the calling of God? Where are the Ninevehs? Or are you just wrapped up in the motion of life? And just, oh, I gotta pay these bills, I gotta go to school here, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, you know, all these things. I gotta make sure I have a little fun here, I go on this vacation there, I got all these things, I got this to do. And God's saying, why don't you just slow down and listen? Because <laughs> I've given you a Nineveh. So go. Because the goodness of God is looking to impact this world. And like we talked about last week, He plans to do it through the laborers. Let me pray. Lord, I just ask that this morning, if there's anyone in earshot that's running from their Nineveh, that's running from their difficult conversation, that's running from the the moment in their life that they're afraid of, God, I just pray that through the boldness of your word and through the empowerment of your spirit, they won't run to the proverbial Tarshish, but that they'll go straight towards the target that you've set on their heart that you'll give them the power to do so, that they'll, they'll feast on the glory and the splendor of your presence. God, I pray, I pray that if there's anyone in this room this morning that doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you, I just ask you to draw their hearts near. Call them to repent and believe this morning. 
And if they do so, Lord, I, I pray that they'll take the next step in seeking out one of our staff members so that we can walk with them and guide them what it looks like to follow Jesus every single day. Lord, we've all got a step this morning. Help us to see your goodness throughout the whole process. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.